Thank you for reading, and good morning, everyone. It's good to be back uh, among you this morning. I'm Simon. If I haven't met you before, I think this is my third time here with you guys at Living Word, and uh, yeah, it's it's a privilege to be able to open the Word of God with us with you today. And uh, I don't know if you were re- listening to those Bible readings and going, "Oh my goodness, where are we going with those readings today?" Um, I'll tell you a bit about that in a minute. Um, I'm Simon, Uh, yeah, I'm married to Adele, Uh, we've been married for 16 and a half years, I think it is, and uh, we've got three children, uh, Stella, eight, Sebastian, five, Fletcher, two, and uh, we we live a bit in the inner north in Prospect, and uh, if you've been sort of around for a little while and you've kind of heard a little bit about my journey, uh, I work with City Light Church, Um, we have three churches across the city, and uh, I've been uh, working with one foot in Glenelg, which has been one of our sites, and one foot in North Adelaide, and moving through a process of uh, being kind of, I don't know, endorsed as a church planter with an organisation called Acts 29. And uh, that process began September last year, and it's gone, we've been to New Zealand for it, and we've been through lots of different processes. And uh, just over the last uh, week and a half or so, uh, through that process, I have been endorsed as a church planter with Acts 29, which means I'll now move into ministry full-time in North Adelaide, uh, so to oversee our work there, or God's work there, but we're participating with Him. Uh, so that's, my, that's what I'm doing. Uh, so as a, on the 9th of June, I'm commissioned, I will be commissioned, should the Lord tarry, uh, as the lead pastor of our North Adelaide sort of church, which will be really exciting. And uh, under God, yeah, under God, we hope... Um, that God will do some good things uh, in and through us as we do that. So, um, there you go. Uh, Today, uh, we are, there's some slides coming up, I hope. Today, we're thinking about this subject. Next one. Yay. Transgenderism, Jesus, and Christian hope. I bet you didn't think you were going to come to church this morning to think about transgenderism, Jesus and Christian hope. Why on earth are we thinking about this? Well, partly it's because the church that I'm working with at the moment, City Light, we're doing a series at the moment called We Need to Talk, and we're confronting some kind of significant cultural issues that are present in our society at the moment, and we want to think, how, we want to think together, how does the gospel help us understand various things? So we, last week we looked at... Um, toxic masculinity and domestic violence. We looked at that and how does the gospel help us understand that. The week before that, we looked at a thing called call-out culture. We can talk about that later. Um, uh, But we're thinking about how does the gospel change the way we think about various things in our society. Um, This week, we're coming up to this subject, transgenderism. And I know this is a bit out there, right? But I think it's actually really helpful for us to know this together um, in our society today. Um, So, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to get stuck into this subject. Okay, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you so much that your word brings life, and we pray that you would help us this morning to see that the life your word holds out to us is really the life that we want and desperately need. And we ask that you would do this and help us to see this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, just before I start, there's, I think the next slide... Yeah. Just, a, just straight up, here's some potentially helpful resources for you guys to... We can put this up maybe at the end as well, but here's three really excellent resources in this area of thinking uh, Christianly, biblically, about transgender and sexuality that I found really helpful. Um, so the three are Vaughan Roberts, so the one down the right-hand side, the orange cover, um, 
Not only is it short, it's also inexpensive. Um, and it's a wonderful resource to sort of, it's not, it's not complete in that it doesn't go deep into everything, but it's a really helpful resource um, that is in, is in an excellent series that Vaughan Roberts is largely um, authoring. Andrew Walker's book, The God, uh, God and the Transgender Debate, um, yeah, $17, I think, or thereabouts at Coorong, and a wonderful kind of bigger, more thorough kind of exploration of the subject. Um, very easy to read, um, but very uh, clear, um, compassionate, insightful, and hopeful. Um, and the other one, Rosaria Butterfield. Rosaria Butterfield was an atheist, and she happened to also to be, uh, she was same-sex attracted, um, and she came to know Jesus, and her life kind of just, oh, it's, it's exploded, it's amazing. And uh, she writes, this is a follow-up book that she's written, it's called Openness Unhindered, where she herself very personally explores her journey um, as a follower of Christ and dealing with sexuality and things like that. So, three really excellent resources there um, that I can highly recommend to you. Now, I don't know, um, you might, you know, when I mentioned that we're going to talk about transgenderism and uh, Jesus and Christian hope, you might have thought instantly, this doesn't sound like a very good idea. Um, you know, whoa, what are you doing? Um, you know, after all, I mean, who am I, for example, me, Simon Jackson, to give a talk on transgenderism, Jesus? I'm a youngish, um, white, married with kids, religious man. Honestly, what could be worse, right? Um, I represent, I reckon, every single roadblock to progress in the area of sexuality in our world today. Um, and in a way, I do. There's nothing I can do about that, right? I, I could give up the religious bit, but I, I don't want to. So, isn't this talk, like transgenderism, Jesus and Christian hope, a really bad idea? Who wants to hear a young, white, religious man with kids talk about transgender? My friend told me, um, I talked about this with a friend this week, that I was coming to a church here in Living Word and also my church in North Adelaide to talk about this, and he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to set up a rotten tomato stall outside the church so that people can pick them up and toss them at you as you're speaking. Um, but it's not just me that's the problem, is it? This, this, this subject, transgenderism, sexuality, gender, is such a massive subject that I, it's hard to kind of speak into it in just one talk. People do PhDs on this, people have written books on this stuff, and also you can go to university and you can do a gender studies degree. You can spend years studying this stuff. Nevertheless, here we are, Sunday morning, pouring with rain outside, I still think there's something useful about this, that I, and I think I can do something really significant in one talk. What do I hope to do? I hope to show you that there is something really helpful, that, that the Bible speaks into this subject with, subject with real clarity, and I'm hoping that as we open the Scriptures this morning, we will, be better under, we will better understand the reality of this, our culture, better understand the reality of what the Bible says about it and how we should live and respond to it in our society. If you're here this morning, if you're sceptical about this, um, I hope that you'll just listen to what this young, white, married with kids, religious man has to say about this subject um, and listen to how the Bible has shaped me and my understanding of it. Um, so the transgender debate, the reality of transgenderism in our culture is all-encompassing and it's massively contentious. Um, Issues such as education, uh, law, government, entertainment, all sort of fall in the crosshairs 
of this debate. And our culture is moving at such a speed on all these issues that how we respond can sometimes be overwhelming. It can sometimes feel almost impossible. I want to say also it's a very sensitive issue, and I think Christians feel that, and often we kind of shy away from it as a result. But it's impossible to ignore. It's front and centre. Uh, it may be as well that as I speak about this, there might be some people in the room this morning for whom this idea of gender identity, of who I am, is part of your own experience. It could be you personally, it could be someone you know. I'm standing on very sensitive ground. It's a live issue, I'm, I'm aware of that. But I, I believe that the message of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel, is good news for all people. And that the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news for whatever issue we are to be thinking about. So the message of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel, is good news for the issue of transgenderism. And I hope we'll see that this morning. Three key things I want to do this morning is I want to think about where are we at culturally. Secondly, I want to think about what does the Bible have to say about this cultural moment. And thirdly, I want us to think about how should we respond. So what's the culture saying? What does the Bible say? Perhaps what should we say? How should we respond? So why talk about this? Where are we at culturally? I think there's a slide coming up. Here we go. There we go. Why talk about this? Um, recent cultural change. Here's an image for you. There you go. The guy on the left is Bruce Jenner. He was a US pentathlete, I believe. Um, he was a, he's an athlete, etc. Um, in 2005, Bruce Jenner appeared on the cover of Vanity Fair magazine. So on the right-hand side is Bruce, who is now a woman, appeared on Vanity Fair and with the tagline, Call Me Caitlin. Um, Bruce Jenner, famous man, well-known, has transitioned from being a male to a female. Um, the revolution's kind of arrived, right? Uh, very famous people, he may not be famous to you, but he's really well known, very famous people are now transgender people. The old framework, right, that used to be just embodied in our society was gender was simply determined by your biological sex. Now, gender is fluid. Biology, anatomy, doesn't determine your gender identity. It's a subjective thing now, right? Um, I'm not on Facebook at the moment, but if you go on Facebook, Facebook now has over 50 kind of genders you can choose from. Um, you know, so no longer you male, female, you can be like at least 50, right? This is the world in which we live. Um, so basically, the new age in which we live now is that my biology doesn't determine, determine my gender. My mind determines, how I feel determines my gender. So Chaz Bonner, here he is. Chaz Bonner, who was... Now, that's Chaz on the right. That's who Chaz, he's now a, he is now a he. He says gender is about what's between your ears, not between your legs. Not about your genitals, basically. It's to do with your mind. Your mind shows you what your true gender identity is. <coughs> definitions, right? Definitions are really helpful. Here's a definition of transgender. Transgender. Uh, noting or relating to a person whose gender identity does not correspond to that person's biological sex assigned at birth. Uh, noting or relating to a person who does not conform to societal gender norms or rules. Um, 
Transgender describes those for whom their gender identity doesn't match the biological sex they were assigned at birth, um, before birth. Now, a key term also in transgender is the idea of gender dysphoria, right? So, gender dysphoria. Dysphoria is the opposite to euphoria, right? So, if euphoria is to feel wonderful and ecstatic, dysphoria is to experience significant stress and anxiety. Feeling that your body doesn't match the identity that you feel you have. There's a perceived mismatch. So you've got transgender, gender dysphoria. There's a mismatch between the gender that I, I sort of am biologically, biologically, but how I actually feel. Just to clarify as well, let's be clear that transgenderism is different to homosexuality. There is some overlap, right? So they both are part of the LGBTIQA plus kind of group or common sort of continuum. Both express some form of self-identity. But if we take homosexuality to be a person being attracted to another person of the same sex, that's not the same thing as wanting to identify someone who has a different biology, biology to your own. So Rosaria Butterfield says this, homosexuality is about who you want to go to bed with, transgenderism is about who you want to go to bed as. Now, that's like a whirlwind, right? You was like, whoa, I didn't come to church thinking I was going to think about transgenderism. But what, what I want to, all this on the screen, all I, want, I just want to show you, we, what all this signifies is there has been a dramatic change in our culture, in Western culture. There's been a significant social, media, political, and even legislative changes. Our, our culture, where our culture now increasingly believes that if you feel yourself to be a man or if you feel yourself to be a woman, then that is what you are. Irrespective of bio, what biological bits and body you happen to have. And additionally, our culture says, right, you cannot truly flourish as you as a person, unless you embrace and accept that inner sense of who you truly believe you are, your identity. So it's actually become a matter of justice. Someone should feel free to express their inner identity, whatever that is, and it's the job and the responsibility of everyone in the world, in the general public, to both accept and affirm and celebrate it now. It's like a civil right. It's up there with like issues to do with racism or women's suffrage. So the accusations of some Biology is bigotry and must not be a constraint on someone who they believe they are. If someone is born a female and yet comes to feel male, then who is to question that? It's become a matter of equality, right? This is seen in debates now about what kind of bathrooms people are given to access in public spaces, in, in schools, in restaurants. It also expresses itself in what kinds of uniforms that schools can expect their students to wear. Issues of what, who can be on what kinds of sports teams. Youth camps at church are impacted by this, right? What dorm do we place participants in if they are transgender? All this to say we cannot avoid this issue. That's the cultural moment we are in. That's where we are. So what does the Bible say? What does the Bible have to say? The first thing to say, right, is that the Bible doesn't have the word transgender in it. But there is teaching all the way through the scriptures, right, that shapes our approach to thinking about this issue of transgenderism. 
what does the Bible say about gender? What does the Bible say about gender? So we begin at the beginning of the Bible um, with the well-known text, which we had read out before, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It's up on the screen. Here we go. Hey, here we go. So this is creation, right? Um, Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock of all the, and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God creates humanity and we're told he created humanity male and and female. So in the creation of the world, gender identity is embodied. God created them, male and female. We're speaking here of bodily creation. Maleness and femaleness is located in our bodies, in our anatomy. More, Genesis gives us a binary, male and female. He created them. There's no sort of third sex or room for any others. Genesis 1 also shows us that being made female and male is fundamental to being made in the image of the living God. When God makes us creatures in his image, he highlights that we are made male and female. We are not the only creatures in creation to be made male and female, right? Many creatures made by God are male and female. But what mean, But we're unique, right? Why? Because we're made in the image of God fundamentally bound up with who we are is that we're made in the image of God, male and female. God has made us in in his image. And I take it because we need each other, male and female, to better image God. Well, right, so Genesis chapter 1, we are um, in there, it's God's good design for creation. But if you're familiar with the story, I'm sure you would be if you've been around Living Word Church for a while, um, our time in this perfect status of imaging God and in relationship with him and overseeing creation doesn't last very long. We're not in that perfect perfect moment for very long. Um, If you have your Bible, right, here's here's where we are, Genesis chapter 1, right? Genesis chapter 1 is where everything's going really well. The rest of the Bible, not so much, right? Everything goes a little bit pear-shaped. Genesis 3, right, describes what happened when we turned our backs on God, where we said, I'm going to be king, I'm going to live my way, I don't need God. Rebellion, sin. But interestingly, if you go Genesis 1, Genesis 3, fall, you go to Genesis 5, after the fall, we're told again that we're made in the image of God. Go back one. Yeah. This is Genesis 5. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God, he created them male and female, and blessed them, and he named them mankind when they were created. In other words, after the fall, after humanity's rejection of God, our rebellion against his good design, the scriptures reaffirm that we are created male and female. Whatever else the fall does to distort and disrupt God's good design for creation, it hasn't obliterated that God made humanity male and female. Similarly, right, if we rush forward through a whole lot of salvation history and we end up crashing into Christ, in the Gospels, what do we find there? Again, Jesus in Matthew chapter 19 reaffirms our createdness, male and female. So here we go. Haven't you read? Jesus talking in the context of divorce. He's asked a question about divorce. Haven't you read? Jesus replied. That at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. 
and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. It's really interesting, right? Jesus is asked a question about divorce. In the context of divorce, he answers by talking about marriage. But in order to talk about marriage, he also has to talk about gender. He doesn't just say that two people become one flesh. He says that from the beginning, we've been made male and female. He says that is the reason we have this thing called marriage. God has created us male and female. Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. Now, as far as Jesus Christ is concerned, and I know this is massively countercultural in our day and age, but as far as Jesus is concerned, marriage is predicated on our sexual difference as male and female. That doesn't mean because we are male and female, we have to get married but it does mean that we only get married because we are male and female. Jesus describes our male and femaleness as a binary. It's an ongoing reality and has ongoing meaning, even in a fallen, broken world. The Bible upholds that our gender identity is read off our body, not our feelings. Our gender identity, according to the Word of God, is read off our body, not our feelings. So what does the Bible then say about our bodies? Our bodies. It has heaps to say. And, you know, you've probably got roasts in the oven and we can't spend all day here thinking about this. But heaps to say. Just a few comments, three things in particular. The first is this. Our bodies are intended. Our bodies are not accidental. Plenty of people in our world today, right, believe that we're all the result of accidental, unguided, random evolution. But in stark contrast, right, the Bible shows us that our bodies have been created. They're not accidents. Um, And when it comes to God, none of us are accidental. Our bodies are created. You know, so David in Psalm 139 can sing this wonderful song. You are created. God created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Now, look, to be honest with you this morning, I have never knitted in my life. Stephanie, you're doing a remarkable job there, knitting away, sort of crocheting. So it's not knitting, I know, technical terms. Um, I've never knitted in my life, right? But I have watched other people knitting. My granny, my mother, a woman I used to work at at church in Sydney. She used to knit all the time. She did some great work as well, but she would knit a lot. So I have some authority, right? I have some authority. I've seen a lot of knitting, and I've been to the occasional knitting shop, yeah? No, it doesn't make me a knitter. Exactly right. But I I think I have some authority. But what I've noticed, right, when someone is knitting, it is a very careful and thoughtful process. Every stitch matters, and every stitch speaks of deliberate and close attention to detail. Our bodies are knitted together by God. They are not accidental. Our bodies are not accidental, and therefore, and secondly, they are not incidental. Our bodies are a gift and a calling. That doesn't mean they're perfect by any stretch. But David can say, almost in the same breath, after he said, God, you have knitted me together in my mother's womb, he says this, I praise you, Yahweh, God, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are 
wonderful. In Romans 8, Paul gives us a great insight into the purpose of our physical bodies. Paul in Romans 8 is talking about the whole of physical creation and he says this in Romans chapter 8. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. This from the Apostle Paul is a a wonderful insight into the world in which we live. Paul is saying that the physical creation is not right. It was made brilliantly, right? Good, 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 very good. But Paul says, because of our rebellion against God, it's been subjected to futility, subjected to frustration. The world in which we live doesn't work properly. And it's been made that way by God. Why? As a consequence and a demonstration that we are not right with him. And what is true of creation, right, at a a sort of macro level, is also true of our bodies individually. Our bodies have been subjected to that same frustration. And I think we see and we experience this all the time. If you're anything like me, we, we have a difficult relationship with our bodies. For some of us, this difficult relationship with our bodies will be expressed through particular health issues. Um, there's a few examples coming up. Who here this morning had to take some medication before they came to church? Yeah, I did. And if you came close to my back right now, you'd smell deep heat. I've got a sore back. I've got a disc that's out of place. It's pretty nasty. You know, well, we're all at different stages of life, right? But, you know, just the fact that some of us, a lot of us, had to take some medication this morning means that our bodies aren't quite right. We need some help with our health. For some of us, the, the, the way we experience sort of our broken bodies is related to the image we have of our bodies. Many of us, and increasingly so, I believe, we wrestle with our body image. I used to work with a guy who was painfully thin. Um, you know, like fully grown man, but very, very thin. Um, and all his life he's been very, very thin and he's grown up in a culture, right, around people who believe that masculinity was all about big muscles, power, you know, six-packs, a bit like Montaz, right? You know, like just big fellas. <laughs> and, you know, what this guy, right, he's a, he's a solid Christian fella, he loves the Lord, he's confident, but he's also, he, he struggles to take his shirt off when he goes to the beach because he feels like he's, people are going to be looking at him going, look how thin that guy is. We all wrestle with that. Whether it's your health, whether it's your body image, and of course some people experience that brokenness in their bodies through gender dysphoria, where they feel like they're in the wrong body. This isn't my body. So all of us experience some kind of brokenness and frustration when it comes to our bodies. We don't have an entirely straightforward relationship with our bodies. And as Christians, that should never surprise us. The Bible teaches us that as we turn away from God, we don't just go out of sync with God, our maker. We don't just go out of sync with others. We also go out of sync with ourselves. So of all the people on planet Earth, Bible-believing Christians, me, you guys here at Living Word Church, 
ought not to be at all surprised that someone could be feeling profoundly out of sorts with their body. If we go back to Matthew chapter 19, we, we see some of this reflected in the teaching of Jesus. You know, Haven't you read, Jesus says, that at the beginning of the creation, at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And then, just a few verses later, he says, and there are eunuchs who were born that way. In the same passage, Jesus both affirms the male and female binary and he also says that some people are born eunuchs. That is, some people are born without the precise anatomical features that we would expect of a male and a female. And the fact that some people are born with abnormalities doesn't negate the fact that God has made us male and female because Jesus reaffirms it. But also, because God has made us male and female doesn't make it simple, straightforward or easy for us. What the Bible says about our body should make us, if we are Christians, the most compassionate people in society when it comes to transgenderism. However flawed we think the thinking is of those around us on these particular issues, we must acknowledge that the pain people struggling with gender dysphoria and transgenderism feel is very, very real. Our bodies are not accidental. Our bodies are intended. But here's the third thing. We must also note that our perception of reality is distorted. I think this is key. Um, the Bible says that we're not really good, very good at understanding who we are, even understanding what we are. On the one hand, that the Bible says that our bodies have been subjected to frustration. It also says, on the other hand, that... Our hearts and minds don't work properly or reliably either. So Romans chapter 1, verse 22. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. That's Romans 1, that's Paul. And then if you jump to Ephesians, Paul says this. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Let's think about this, right? Is the Apostle Paul saying in Romans and Ephesians, is the Apostle Paul saying this, that all transgender people are futile in their thinking, foolish in their hearts and darkened in their minds? Is that what he's saying? No. Paul is saying that all of us are. Every single one of us. We're not qualified to determine our own identity. Whatever identity we come up with ourselves will not be a good fit. The only identity that will truly fit us is the one given to us by the one who actually made us. Jesus, for this very reason, does not put the word self in front of identity. He puts the word self in front of the word denial. And remember, this is the case for every single one of us. We don't really know who we are. We don't even know what we're here for until we come to know the one who made us. As Tim Keller says, I, I've read a lot of Tim Keller. I can't work out where this has come from, but I'll just kind of... It's his, it's not mine. He says this, Identity is not something that we create. It's something we receive from our Creator. Identity is not something we create, it's something we receive from our Creator. 
So when there is conflict between the body and the mind, we can't just assume that the mind is right and the body is wrong. A really good friend of mine, when I was studying at Bible college, um, she suffered with severe anorexia. Um, She was dangerously thin, but she believed that she was grotesquely fat. And there's a woman at my church at the moment who is in this particular situation, so this is real for me. Um, But my friend, severe anorexia, she was insanely thin, but she believed when she looked at herself in the mirror that she was grotesquely fat. It would not be loving of me to affirm that feeling, would it? She was utterly sincere in that she felt like she was obese, overweight. But she was objectively wrong. I was doing her no favours simply to just affirm the way she felt because she was basically very close to dying. So we cannot and must not trust our perception of ourselves. Now that's generally for life, but particularly when it comes to issues of identity. Identity is not something that we create, it's something that we receive by grace through faith from our Creator. There's some things that the Bible, I think, has to say in this area of transgender and gender dysphoria. I just I want to share with you perhaps now how we can respond. How do we respond to this um, situation we're in, this, this cultural moment? What is, how can we respond to and speak well about trans, transgenderism? Um, the first thing is uh, listen well. Listen well. Um, I suspect if you're anything like me, we're not very good at this. Um, you know, Bible-believing Christians that I've come across, people who know their Bibles really well, are really keen to preach, to speak. And I, I'm not, please don't hear me say, don't know your Bible well, right? Um, you know, Montez would never invite me back if I said, don't you know your Bible well? But we, I don't think we're very good at listening. Um, most Bible-believing Christians I know sort of know their Bible well, but often feel compelled to speak, to preach, to proclaim. But there's a profound necessity that we would be people who listen. We can't speak well unless we understand the particular person's situation. You know, that book that I mentioned before, The Transgender Debate, the reality is we're talking not about a debate, we're talking about people who are experiencing profound pain and confusion and struggle. So I want to call us this morning to be men and women who who listen before speaking. If we listen well, we can then respond well and we can start by bringing the tenderness of Christ into the situation. Jesus says, you know, a bruised reed I will not sort of cast away. We can say to people, Jesus knows your bruises and he won't throw you out. If, and, and secondly, right, if people know that you're genuinely, in, genuinely interested in their situation and that you genuinely, genuinely care, they're more likely then to listen to what you have to say. I don't think that just applies to transgenderism. I think it applies to any conversation we have with people. Um, Tim Keller writes this. You cannot help with a burden unless you come close to the burdened person. So in the same way, a Christian must listen and understand and physically, emotionally, spiritually take up some of the burden with the other person. And Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a wonderful man, says this. The first service that one owes to others in the fellowship consists of listening to them. 
Just as love of God begins with listening to his word, so the beginning of love for our brothers and sisters is learning to listen to them. We do well to listen well. Secondly, um, I think we would do well to avoid gender stereotypes as well. Um, This commonly happens, right? Gender stereotypes commonly happen in culture and also in the church. Um, Cultures vary wildly in what maleness and femaleness kind of looks like. You know, some people say, this is what a man should be into. This is what a woman should be into. Um, But we can make people feel really isolated if they don't measure up. You know, men should be into lifting weights and, you know, cars. And women should be into crochet and craft lessons. I don't know. You know, and if you don't, if you're not in those things, you know, you kind of go, oh, I don't measure up. Um, and sadly, I think it happens also in our churches, right? We can be unhelpful there. Again, we can sort of say, you know, men in churches, they're the real, I mean, I'm, my, one of my phrases is men use their strength to serve because I do think we're the stronger sex in terms of physical strength. But, you know, we can easily go, you know, men are the powerful athletic ones and, you know, women are the artistic and the sensitive ones. But what if a man feels like he's artistic and sensitive in our churches? I love reading the Word of God. You know, David, King David, he played the harp a lot and he wrote a lot of poetry. The Bible portrays a range of different godly men and women. Let's be people shaped by the Word of God, not by gender stereotypes that, I don't know, we've embodied somewhere. And this comes from a third thing. Let's try not to say to someone what you can't say to everyone. And this is you know, Sam Aubrey. is a wonderful guy. He sort of says, this is lying. We, let's try not to say to someone what you can't say to everyone. You know, on issues such as transgenderism and gender and sexuality, people assume that Christians, you and me, are unjust. We have one set of rules for one group and another set of rules for the other group, and we are just simply unfair. They bring that assumption to the table. We need to show people that the gospel always levels the playing field. We all stand at the foot of the cross desperately in need, every one of us. So in conversation, at least at the very beginning of a conversation, hopefully I'm assuming you've listened well, I'm not going to say to someone what I can't say to everyone. So if someone you know, someone comes up to me and says, hey Simon, I'm transgender, I'm struggling with gender dysphoria, what do you think about that? As as a follower of Jesus, as a Bible-believing Christian, I want to say, you know what, all of us have issues with our bodies. All of us have issues with our identity. That's the starting point. I can say that to everyone. I can say that to every one of you. We all have issues with our bodies. We all have issues with our identity. I can say that to everyone. Let's begin there. Fourthly, Christians need, we need both conviction and compassion in this particular transgender debate. The transgender debate, right, it's ripe with controversy. Um, holding a biblical position, even what we didn't talk, like, talked about today, in this discussion means that we're going to find ourselves in disagreement with our friends, with families, with co-workers. And however gently and beautifully you express yourselves, we're, we're likely to be accused of being haters, bigots, even worse. But at a time like this, we need God-given courage to defend the true and beautiful vision of God for human flourishing based on the biblical understanding of being made male and female, made in his image. We've got to avoid 
knee-jerk reactions, trite explanations, but we must continue to say that since God made us, he gets the ultimate say on who we are. Maybe we need to put a bit of steel in our spines as we live in the world. But I want to say all the conviction, all the passion in the world won't matter at all if you do it without compassion. Jesus didn't aim to win debates, he sought to love people. So we must be like that as his followers. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You know, we, I want you to continue to hold on to those convictions that God's word is good and his way is beautiful and is the way to human flourishing. That his word is unchanging, it's perfect, but we must speak with compassion in our hearts. And fifthly, finally, our, our beautiful responsibility in the world, whether it's a person with transgender, gender dysphoria, any confusion in this area, we must show all people where true hope is found. The Bible shows us, I hope you've seen that this morning, we all have issues with our bodies, that there's brokenness in our bodily life, it also shows us that the problems we have with our bodies are not going to be solved by our bodies. The reality of us having problems with our bodies is not a, a reason to escape our bodies. It's not a reason to replace our bodies. It's a sign that our bodies need to be redeemed. That our bodies need to be restored. Vaughan Roberts in that little book, I love little books, the little cheap one, the orange one, he, talks, he, he uses this analogy um, that... Um, all of us are like a piece of art that needs to be restored. Like he uses the knowledge of art restoration. You know, that we don't need to be constructed, we need to be restored. I love that. Which is precisely what Jesus has made possible and precisely what we look forward to in Romans chapter 8. We look forward, says Paul, to the redemption not only of our souls but of our bodies. God has promised that in Christ we have an eternal future that involves your body, transformed, redeemed, restored and fit for the new creation. It's very easy, right, to think that if only I could make my body better now, then everything would be okay. And yet it won't. Because bodily brokenness points to a much deeper issue in our lives. Fixing our bodies, that fixing our bodies is not going to fix you're not to zoom all the way all into the transgender situation, but um, we're hearing more and more about people who are transitioning, right, from being a male to being a female or from being a female to being a male. And that process is um, long and invasive and um, pretty harrowing, I think. And, and people are, achieve it. You know, we saw that right at the beginning. Um, with Bruce Jenner, who's now is Caitlin. And people, when they go through this process, which is incredibly invasive, that, what they're hoping is that if only I could be that person who I think I am, then everything is going to be great. Then I will do it. And, this, and, and you know, people are willing to do all sorts of stuff to achieve this. The reality is, and this is the tragedy is that when people have transitioned, those who have transitioned are 19 times more likely to complete suicide than the general public. It's, that's a tragedy. And again, as Christians, as people who understand the word of God, who get 
that we have broken bodies, that our hope is not in this body, it's in someone else, we should be the most compassionate people on planet Earth. If you, the thing is, like if you've spent years thinking that my greatest problem is my body, And then when I fix it, I'll finally become my true self. I'll become whole. I'll become right. I will flourish. And you come to the other side and you realize I'm not complete. It's, It's pretty hopeless. Colossians 1, Paul shows us where our true hope lies, where all of our true hope lies. God has now reconciled you in Christ's body of flesh through his death. Jesus was broken so we could be fixed. The answer to our brokenness, the only hope, is the ultimate brokenness of Christ's body on our behalf. You know, whatever our expression of bodily brokenness, whether it's the health problems you have, whether it's the self-image problems you have, whether it's self-loathing, whether it's gender dysphoria, the only solution is the death and resurrection of Christ. Not creating an identity, but receiving an identity as a loved child of the King. And for some of us, right, it may be that we will only be free of those pains and those struggles and those hurts. We'll only be free when Jesus comes back to make all things new. But he is coming and you can trust him. Let me finish with a word from Vaughan Roberts from his book. The way in which... God grows us in Christian maturity is rarely by removing the obstacles of our disordered bodies and minds. Very often, God allows them to continue. And amazingly, through the ongoing struggle with our disordered bodies and minds, God renews the inner person so that we become more and more like Christ. It seems to me that, those, that some of the great heroes of our faith are those who go on with very deep struggles. Some of them are bodily, a profound disability perhaps. Others are psychological, depression perhaps, or ongoing gender dysphoria. But as Christians determined to walk the way of the Spirit and to praise their Creator, their faith grows and deepens and they become more and more like Jesus. This is Christian hope. A hope that we can be confident in because Jesus has paved a way through his suffering through his being broken on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Together we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you and thank you for your word. Uh, Father, we praise you that your word has much to say to us It's always been good, it's always been helpful, it's always been life-giving. Perhaps never more so in the day in which we live, where so many challenges are before us in our world. Father, we thank you for giving us our bodies. We thank you that you've made us. We thank you that we're not accidents. We praise you that you have a purpose for us with our bodies. 
Father, we, we recognise that our bodies are not perfect. They're not right. And in that, our minds and our hearts are not right either. We praise you, Father, for giving us your Son, the Lord Jesus, the, the perfect, true human. We thank you that on the cross he was broken so that we could be fixed. Father, we pray you'd help us as people who understand the frustrations of life in this world because of the truth you've revealed to us in Christ. That you'd make us men and women who are truly compassionate to those who are wrestling with their bodies. Make us, Father, the most compassionate people on the planet for the good of those around us and for your glory. And so, Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.